Yeah, that's fantastic, Mr. Music Teacher. That is not only teaching remotely to your students, but I've noticed that you, during this COVID-19 outbreak, uh, you've also been really inspired and creative in um, you and your wife for giving uh, lessons online and performing an inspiring song of the day on YouTube. So that's really great. That's a nice, nice way of converting the negative to the goodness. Yeah, it's fun. And, you know, I, like I was talking with my wife about like how to, how to do this. And we've been like thinking, God, what are we going to do today? Cause we, the kind of the fun part is we decide right at the last minute and just put it out there. And we figure with like seven college degrees in music between the two of us, we <laughs> should be able to do this. And, uh, and it's turned out, it's really great. I mean, we've had people tune in. I mean, literally even a, even a friend who works down in Antarctica has, has, you know, caught the caught the song so we're we're reaching oh great you know all seven yeah like all seven continents and you know it's like you can get really bogged down with everything that you're hearing on the tv or whatever but you know you can also listen to some banjo music online and it's pretty great so that's yeah that's kind of that's kind of the thought of it and we're just like what can we do to you know i mean we live here in new york city and so we're living in 500 square feet and what what can we do to like keep our spirits up and then maybe reach other folks. I don't know. So it's just, it's, I, yeah, I mean, it just, it just has kind of been a lot of fun and made sense to do. Yeah. It's working. How many more, um, have you gotten a lot more um, views through YouTube or followers or. So the, so, so the YouTube has been pretty, pretty small because I don't like pay to like monetize it at all. And, and because I'm like covering tunes, there's probably like, you know, huge like copyright infringement technically that I'm doing. But um, on the Facebook side of things, we get probably 30, 40 people tune in on, on each video, but that's in like North America, Europe, Africa, and Asia. And, uh, you know, just because the time changes, we're getting people tuning in right there. And then afterwards, each video I think is garnering maybe 150, 200, 200 plays on, on Facebook. And then yeah. I blast it out to my Instagram as well, because a lot of my uh, colleagues in Russia, they're all about Instagram and, and Tuva in Siberia. So I blast it out, not live there. And we get, I get a good response from there too, from folks um, tuning in from that part of the world. So it's, you know, slowly but surely. And, it, and it's been fun too, because like I've all of a sudden, like my high school class of 1998, not to date myself too much, but on, <laughs> but like, you know, on, on that group of just folks I haven't talked to in 22 years or whatever. Um, they're starting to like get into it and tune in and, and they have kids and, you know, some of the other like world music classes I'm uploading, they're having their kids watch as part of their schooling. So it's, it's, 
it's been a wow. really great way to connect with, um, you know, just people, people all over that you haven't heard from forever. And, you know, it's interesting. There's, there's, they're saying like the social distancing, but I feel like I'm almost more connected to people, um, than I, than I, than we were, you know, before all this started. And it's, it's through just this crazy idea of me being, you know, losing my mind in my apartment thinking like, well, I may as well do something productive and, and, yeah. uh, you know, you can eat like, like what's, there's like some old movie that the guy was like, oh, you can do the timer. You can do the timer. The time can do you. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll do something productive with the, uh, with the time that we're, yeah, that that's, we're indoors. That's definitely true. I wonder how many bands will, uh, will be recording mo- remotely. Like, uh, I, I had a, an electric drum kit here for uh-huh. a while and I, it was just pushed up against the side and I could never get to it. So I ended up just getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Man, if I still had that, it'd be really interesting to be able to like remotely, you know, set up the electric drums, record my drum tracks through, you know, whatever type of a a MIDI system I'd have and then share that with a guitarist and a bassist and the bassist would like add their stuff and the guitar and then we'd all sing. I wonder how many bands will create things that way. That would be really interesting. Yeah, it it is. I'll tell you last night, like I, so besides being a, a world music dork, I'm really into like late seventies and early eighties hip hop. And mm-hmm. so like from his house here in the Bronx, Grandmaster Flash did a five hour show on Instagram live last night. Oh, did he? Yeah. And it was like, it was just so cool. It was just great. So that's happening. And obviously a lot more like famous musicians than me once a week are, are doing like 25, 30 minutes show. I know Bela Fleck and his wife are doing something and mm. Chris Daly's putting stuff out through his, his American public radio show so i think i think it's it's actually really cool and i've seen like the you know like uh, the hashtags out there like the co- like covid concerts and and whatnot so, <laughs> so i mean hey you know if if like your yeah. favorite artists are reaching out to the fans like this and and doing something and and you know it's good to support them if they're if they're hurting you know uh sure you know, send, send, send a couple bucks their way i mean i don't think grandmaster flash is hurting for for for, for dollars but uh you know, little time guys like like me that you know do a little bluegrass or folk music on the side. I mean, you know, if that's their full time gig, you know, it's it's kind of smart. They're like doing these streaming concerts, and you can interact with the fans, and you know, yep. they put up their their Venmos or whatever, and you know, send them a couple bucks. Why not? Yeah, yeah, it's it definitely. I think bringing people together more than they realize. Yeah, even though we're physically not able to hug, it's you're out. You're actually focusing in on a conversation with someone now yeah it's really something um like people always talk about like you know the ills with like social media and and all there's you know it's because it's such a new thing but seeing it being used now in a just a super like positive way it gives me it gives me hope (laughs) for yeah it gives me hope for humanity you know that we can still like get together and and like do good things in the world which is which is yeah. yeah i mean it's it's imperative it really is so definitely where are you uh from i'm from seattle originally well technically i'm from a little town called everett washington which is uh-huh. 30 miles north of seattle it's a little mill town and it was built in the last century in the 1800s by the railroad baron james j hill 
and uh, and there's like a natural deep water port there, and so it's a it now it's it's you know because obviously the whole Pacific Northwest has gotten so expensive, yeah. but um you know once upon a time Everett was there was like a, a paper mill there and the lumber mill, and of course railroad the deep water ports. Um, there's a naval station there, and 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 now I guess there's like really expensive condos, but um for most of the time, the, the little town I grew up in, it's right on the Puget Sound. And so, you know, as, as kids, we could walk down to the beach and take a swim or whatever. And it's, it's cold water. It's, it's definitely cold, but it's, it is like this, this great little mill town, uh, at least when I was growing up there. So yeah, from, from Seattle, this, the greater Seattle area, and, and we've kind of lived all over, lived in Connecticut for a spell and lived in North Carolina for a decade and, and now we're kind of back up North. Um, my wife's a music teacher as well at a, at another school here in town. And okay. she's, yeah, she's from, she's from Seattle, Seattle area as well. Bremerton out on the, out on the Olympic peninsula. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're just like two like West coasters trying to navigate living and teaching in New York city and That's trying good. to, trying to spread a little like cheer and, uh, and you know, not so like honking and everybody on the road and screaming and yelling. So it's we're doing what we can, you know. But uh, yeah, it's 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 been a wild experience the last the last uh, two three years living up here now. Did you play in bands when you were a kid? Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I just I want to if I can say my two band directors names. I did always yep. did I did middle school band and that was Miss with Mister Holly Bertrand. And he was a wonderful gentleman and a phenomenal clarinet player. And he's since passed on, but man, he did like the six thirty in the morning jazz band for for us kids. And you know, you got to be a special person to, you know, drag your butt out of bed at four thirty or five in the morning and mm-hmm. drive and listen to you know six, seventh, and eighth graders honking away on jazz tunes on their on their instruments. And Holly was just a one of the kindest souls I've I've ever known. And such an inspiration. And then my high school band director was a guy named Gary Evans. And yeah. uh, Gary is just, Gary is Gary. He's the sweetest guy in the world. Monster trumpet player. And, um, you know, he really just, uh, you know, we weren't a big, like, you know, down south. There's like the marching bands and all that stuff. We weren't a big marching, that kind of thing. But the jazz education was really strong. The concert band education was really strong. But what he he did that's helped me so much in my life was just from from the time I was a, a, a little little ninth grader, although I was six foot four in the ninth grade, um, he <laughs> was just like, ah, the more instruments you play, the more gigs you'll get. And uh, and every time I had a wacky idea to learn the bagpipes and or, or just any kind of like folk musics or whatever, he's like, ah, just just do it. And, uh, and so, I mean, what an inspiration he was. And, and, you know, that was really the, the salvation and getting through those kind of like awkward years of middle and high school was, you know, you can go into that band room or, or, you know, if you're in choir or drama or whatever, but you go into the, in my case, you go into that band room and Hey, on the first day of school, you got a hundred new friends that are all into like saxophones and trumpets and like, Oh, what kind of a mouthpiece are you doing? You know, I'm doing this new kind of read and blah, 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 blah. Listen to this lick I figured out. And, you know, and you're just like, you're surrounded by like your peeps. And it really for an awkward time in a lot of people's lives. Cause I'll tell you what, I I was just a crazy introvert. 
it just helped me so it was it was it was my salvation it's like i knew every day well, there was a band in the morning and then jazz band at that zero hour at the 630 jazz band in high school and then and then uh, a couple classes then halfway through the day concert band with my people and i just it was just there it was a constant and it just kept us kept us going so like so holly and gary man thank you you know they 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 got me through so Obviously, I'm a music teacher, and I teach in the schools, and uh, yep. I'm, I'm doing my best to kind of pay that forward and kind of yep. have this, this mentality of like, hey, you know, welcome to music, come as you are, and, and, uh, and you know, being from Seattle, you got you to gotta love Kurt Cobain, but just, yeah, know, yep. yeah, welcome, man, just, just come as you are, and, and that's, I think that's where we need to be. Yeah. How many instruments, or actually, I should ask, what instruments do you play? Because I'm sure you can't even count how many instruments you can play. Sure. So by trade, I'm a saxophone player. Um, and I started that in the sixth grade, and that was a lot of years ago. I venture to reckon that must have been almost 30 years ago. So I've been, yeah. I've been trying to figure out that. And I went through college as a saxophone music education major. And I just a great professor at the University of Hartford, Carrie Kaufman, and she's also on faculty at Yale, and a, just an amazing teacher. But um, what's it called? Uh, so, but you know, because of of like oh the whole philosophy of like hey play you know as many instruments as you can to get as many gigs. Grew up with a piano in the house, so could tickle the ivories a bit. Um, at one point, like we had this really awesome uh, uh, electric like analog Gold Branson organ. In, mm. in the house that we got for free with like a Leslie cabinet. And so learned a little oh, bit man. of organ. And then of course, you know, I've, I'm a woodwind doubler. So I, you know, flute, clarinet, uh, trumpet, trombone, kind of okay. Cause I had to teach it. I'm pretty bad at the bassoon and oboe. French horn <laughs> is about my worst brass instrument. Oh, um, you know, I can play a pretty gnarly rock beat on the, on the drums for my, for my kids. And when I taught like elementary middle school band, that was just like the kids were all over, you know, like my rock beat on some of those like essential elements <laughs> tunes. And then, and then um, yeah, 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 exactly. It was, it was so good. And then as far as I'm trying to think, uh, you know, at, at the school I teach at now, we got a grant and I'm teaching steel drum or steel pan rather. So I play oh, lead pan to a certain extent. Uh, and then because I'm into folk music, I play all the tin whistles from Ireland. I play Scottish bagpipe. And then from, with my doctoral studies, I'm re uh, I'm really into the music of, uh, Tuva, which is this, this, and I'm writing my doctoral dissertation on, on teaching methodologies of folk song in Tuva, but I'm into all their folk instruments. So Dosh Palur, which is like a Tuvan banjo and this thing called an agil, it's a two string horse head fiddle. Um, with kind of like the same timbral range and sounds as like a cello. I play the, the metal mouth harp, the homus. Uh, I, th I, I think that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think. I, I think I'm trying to think. <laughs> I don't think. Oh, I know. We have an, my wife's uncle was an accordion maker. And so we have an accordion. So Oh, wow. I, maker. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was like an accordion maker. So I fiddle around with the with this accordion, and I and um, there's a really cool tradition in, that the Atuvans have adopted from Russia of playing of playing accordion. So I'm trying hmm. to figure out accordion and like some throat singing with that. So it's yeah, I I think that's 
that's that's about it for the instruments. Wow, <laughs> that's a that's a nice list. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all right. You know, it's okay. We do, we do. Yeah, and you were saying your dissertation. You were what was the you were working on? Yeah, so uh, just let me let me say, go dogs, University of Georgia, and I'm ABD, and my PhD studies in music education, and um, I like you know I, I number one I can't even believe they admitted me to to school there because. You know, I got a master's degree in conducting and I was like, oh, you know, I, I want to learn a little bit more. And and so my one of my teachers at my master's degree school, Winthrop, said, hey, you know, you got to meet this friend of mine. He's a he's a banjo player like you. And he's also a conductor. And I was like, oh, there's two of us in the world. This is wonderful. And <laughs> uh, and and as it turns out, Dr. Taylor is is from North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And that's where, like, if you're into folk music. You know, Doc Watson's from up there and, and all these great voices of, of the American folk song tradition in Appalachia. And Dr. Taylor's from up there. And so we met and we, you know, like we, uh, my wife and I went down to his office and we drove down to Athens from Charlotte. And I couldn't sleep that night and I was so nervous. And then we just like played banjo and guitar. And, and that was and that was that. So it started this crazy Ph.D. adventure. And uh we had a, a chance and we went and taught in, um, in my first semester, uh, we went and taught at this music festival in Almaty, Kazakhstan. And we heard some Kazakhstani music. Wow, interesting. Yeah. And I was like, well, listen, Skip, if, if you think this is wild, let me tell you what I'm really interested in. And it was this, it's, I said, it's this place like North of here and it's really hard to get to. And it's called Tuva. And they got this, this throat singing where they sing multiple pitches at the same time. And, and he was like, awesome. He's like, let's, let's find a way to, to do a dissertation about this. So um, I got really great support from the university and, and I've been to Tuva now twice. I was supposed to go again this summer, though that's yeah. doubtful. And, sure. and I, I know that sounds selfish to say that, but, um, you know, I was probably more excited to go visit my friends than to actually do like serious doctoral work. But, um, Nonetheless, yeah, so the, the dissertation largely because the music is still very much an, an, an oral and aural tradition, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of going to be examining different pedagogies, how the music is taught by master teachers of, of throat singing, because no one's ever really explored, you know, people have, have looked at different topics in Tuva, the relationship with, you know, humans and horses and, uh, you know, uh, exploring new cultural identity through like, you know, postmodern nomadism and, and stuff like that. But no one's really done this like, well, how do you, how do you teach this music? You know, you can say, oh, listen to like the style of singing hummus a good, and like, oh, it's supposed to sound like a bird. Okay, well, what, you know, to us, like, what in the world does that mean? So, you know, that's why I've, I've gone to Tuva and sat out in the, in the yurt camps and listened to the birds. Or, you know, when you, when you say there's this like embellishment style of Borbangnada and it's like supposed to sound like bubbling brooks and like water. Well, I, you know, I've been to, been to Tuva and sat down by the river and just listened to it. And, and so to kind of get that aural image. So it's interesting, you know, so much of the music has like this aural imagery uh, uh, in, in their, in their heads. And I, I wonder what guys like Ed Gordon would think, you know, he was a big music audiation guy, but, yeah. um, 
so but it's translating that into you know a paper that probably no one will read except for my committee but it's it's interesting to me so it, it's been fun and tuva is a, a wonderful place i've got so many dear friends there it's it's hard to get to they do have an airport now that takes a flight i think once or twice a week out of moscow but the easiest way to get there is is you get a flight from the states to moscow and then you take another six and a half hour flight into siberia and then like you get in a taxi cab and and hit the road for six and a half or seven hours with a stop in the middle at this great little truck stop called Tanza Bay. And they sell great like lamb barbecue and dumplings and you get refueled. Mm. So like door to door to get there, it's, it's, it's a chunk of time because the Tuva, the capital Kazil is right. The dead geographic center of Asia. And, uh, and it's, it's about 37 hours door to door. Uh, to, to, wow. go, to yeah it's it's a it's a grind but it's it's just so worth it when when you get there and it's you know it's a clean place i mean it's i've not been many places in the world where you can drink water right out of the ground and and you know even some of the rivers are clean enough you can hmm. just kind of drink water out of the rivers and it's it's really just yeah it's just this wonderful place and i i you know try not to romanticize it too much, but it's a, it's just a real special place uh, for me and anybody like crazy enough to go there. That's like into like Dash Pelors and, you know, throat singing and, you know, to actually like go to Tuva and meet folks and practice the language and, and, uh, and, you know, sing and perform. It's, it's, and it's such a welcoming place. It's just, it's just been wonderful. So yeah, you know, this will, this, the whole COVID deal will put off my graduation probably by, by, I don't know, a year or something like that. But yeah, it's more of like, oh, I was going to go and hang out in Eager's office at the cultural center and then, you know, go to coffee, man, the coffee joint that we love and, and, you know, go for, go for a walk on the river and go up to the yurt camp and, and all these other things of just like visiting friends and, and favorite coffee shops and, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So that's, but that's, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the gist of the study. It's, 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 it's been a, it's been a, it's been a ride, man, to, to get there from here, but it's, it's something I'll, I'll tell you that. It definitely hits your spirit. It does. It does. And, yeah. and I'll, I'll just say that quickly, I got into it because, um, in high school, my teacher, Mr. Evans, he, he was out sick and he left for us a listening assignment to do uh, while he was gone. And it was that Ted Levin record, the voices, uh, it was, it's called Tuba Voices from the uh, Center of Asia. And Ted recorded it in like 1988 during like USSR times. And it was just virtually impossible to get to, to get to Tuva. And I thought, I heard these guys, you know, growling and making all these crazy noises and i was like man this is about the coolest thing i've ever heard and so <laughs> it, it, it all started kind of back then and um yeah yeah man it's 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 been a it's been a wild ride that's for that's for sure and like somehow like my wife is like super tolerant of all like this like throat singing because <laughs> like she's such a good performer and oh stuff. honey yeah i know it's like a musical <laughs> musical theater and like opera and like all this like really good stuff and then i'm just like you know playing on these instruments made out of goat hide and wood and like growling yeah. and making all these noises. And she's super, super tolerant of, uh, of all that. So my, my hat's off to her. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. She seems pretty tolerant in general. Anyway, whenever I see her on the, on the screen, when you guys are performing, you know, she's just a cutie. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's mastered like 
she's so good. Like when I have my, my weird philosophical talks, uh, yeah. like the, I think the most recent was like, does it even matter what day of the week we are anymore? Do the names of the days even matter? And, yeah. and like, this, just like the look of the, like the roll of the eyes was just, it was just perfect. It was so good. It was, <laughs> it was so good because there was, there was genuine, uh, affection, caring in there, but, yeah. like, but also thinking like, man, what are you even talking about? You know, like oh, that's so, what wives know, do. Yeah, she's like, you're not that smart. Stop with this. Stop with this philosophy. Who do you think you uh, are? You're not. You're not Marcus Aurelius. Give me a break. <laughs> they keep us grounded. Yeah, a deep a deep dive there for you, history fans and Stoic philosophy of the of the second century in the Common Era. <laughs> and um, and the Mongolian hat that you wear that's that's from there as well right that yes. where you were uh... yeah so like my little green my little green hat it's actually from it's a tuvan hat and tuvan, so yeah. yeah and so actually i'll i'll say this too the big thing is that there's a sizable difference between tuva and mongolia and this past summer mm. i was lucky enough to go teach in mongolia for about three and a half four weeks um at a school in one of the poorer neighborhoods there but um but yeah no so it's a it's a woven hat that i have and there's uh, like a like a Buddhist, like endless knot at the top of it. And it actually yeah. in the summer, it keeps you cool. And in the winter, it keeps you warm. So yeah, I, oh. I do. And you know, that's the great thing about New York city is that you can kind of like rock the ethno gear and people don't look at you like you're funny. That's and true. Just, you know, that's, that's the, like the really fun thing about living here is like, you can, you know, just walk down the, walk down the street in a hat you got in Siberia and no one, no one blinks an eye. And it's, it's really that's right. great. I, I, I do love it. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And what would do, what would be the difference between the Mongolian hat and the, and the, um, where did you say it was from again? I'm sorry. Tuva. Tuva. The yeah, Tuvan hat. Yeah. So, so, you know, the, I, and actually I discovered this in Mongolia this summer because I brought my Tuvan hat with me and, um, I didn't really see anyone wearing just like this kind of like a circular, it, it almost looks like a, like a kippa or like a, you know, like yeah. A, you know, in that, and I'm not sure. A bit longer though, almost yeah. reminds me too. A lot of Muslim men with yeah. wear those as well. Exactly, and I can't help but wonder if that has to do with the uh, the history of the area and being part of of larger like uh, uh, is Islamic uh, empires, and at one point, you know, with the with the people there being kind of part of, of that. And if you look at Kazakh, it looks closer to like what men would wear in Kazakhstan. Except mm. the Kazakhstanis don't have the Buddhist uh, endless knot on the top of of their hat. So with the Mo- with the Mongolians, uh, the the you know the two of the Mongolians wear the hats with like the pointy tip at the top. But um, but this one is just it's just uniquely I just feel uniquely uniquely Tuvan, and hmm. so uh, it's it's made of thread. A lot of the Mongolian hats. I see are made of like wool and stuff like uh, of different type of wool, but this is just, just this is just kind of yarn or, you know, sheep wool rather like this. this I think we think of like the Mongolian, like shepherd hat that is, uh, reminds me a lot of like the, when you see the old uh, pictures of like, you know, Khrushchev and, and, and all the Soviets, those big like rabbit, you know, pelt black hats that the Soviets oh. would wear. That reminds yeah. me very much of, of like the, the Mongol hats are, I would probably say the Soviet hats are in the style of those Mongol shepherd hats. But uh, yeah. that, I think that, that, yeah, I've never had anybody really ask. So this is like, 
you know, very interesting to uh, to go on this uh, little little discussion about the intricacies of inner Asian headwear, uh, men's men's headwear. But yeah. that being said, like if you walk around Tuva, the capital city, Kazul, like always, all the all the men and boys are always wearing these little these little hats on the on the top. And then too, if you don't feel like taking a shower in the morning, your hair's a mess. You put that on, and, and you just it doesn't doesn't matter. It's it's pretty great. That's neat. Yeah, <laughs> cover it up. And then I had um this these two random questions. I have a, a book. It's called the Four Hundred uh, Question Prompts. Uh-huh. Uh huh. My girls found it for me in, in five below. Okay. Basically, it's just this whole book of just like a simple question and then a bunch of empty lines that you're supposed to fill in. And okay. uh, I figured it would be great for my interviews because I could just go in with a random question and throw it at someone and it just add a new uh, flavor to the interview. Nice. But um, since you can't pick it out personally, like open up the book and just stick your finger and then go this one. Uh, I picked out two. Um, not sure which one you'd like to answer. One is what is the greatest act of kindness you have ever performed on someone? Uh-huh. And then the other one is, uh, how often do you daydream? What do you daydream about most? Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll be happy to answer both. I think they're both good questions. Okay. Uh, so act of kindness. This is, uh, and, and how do you answer this without sounding like, you know, you're like Jimmy Swaggart or like super, super full of yourself, you know, on, on an evangelical, you know, network or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Here's, 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 here's what I'll say. Um, the, uh, this, this, this summer I was teaching at this school and I don't know if this is an act of kindness or, or, or whatever, but, uh, teaching at the school in the, in kind of in the, in the gear, which is the Mongolian word for yurt. So, uh, mm-hmm. the, the gear districts outside of Ulaanbaatar, they're up, up on the Hills and they're basically, basically in the municipal garbage dump, um, where these, where these kids live. Some of them are homeless. Some of them have, have homes, but, um, there was just this sweet little kid. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I gave her a, a, a pencil, uh, out of my bag and she, she really loved it. And I, I don't, I honestly don't know if she'd ever had a pencil in her life. Um, wow. and then we, we, you know, I just, whatever always bring bring pens and pencils uh and uh and as it as it turned out um the head of the school explained to me that at nighttime there's there's a there's a problem uh with uh with little kids uh uh, selling their bodies for like food you know Uh. and this little girl who was like nine ten years old maybe like the week before we showed up like he'd found her on the street and she was like selling her body to survive at nine and a half, mm. ten years old. And uh, and she, for whatever reason, I mean, obviously through that kind of like trauma, she never, you know, wasn't, you know, just stayed away from people. But we showed up there at the at the school, and I had my my handy dandy banjo with me, and and uh, the the first day we I taught the kids to sing "You Are My Sunshine," and and that's a every school I've ever been at in, in Africa and Central Asia and Tuva and Mongolia now, yeah. and China and the United States. It's, it's, it's my song. I just love it everywhere I go. We, we taught that and the, and she, uh, she gave me a big hug and, and for the rest of the, of the time there, man, she was my little buddy and she, um, had, you know, she wouldn't get close to any, anyone else 
yeah. uh, as it was explained to me. Uh, but, uh, but for whatever reason it was, uh, yeah, man. So we kind of made that connection and, you know, when I had figured this out, like it was about an hour drive back to the apartment we were staying because the traffic in Ulaanbaatar is just, it's, I mean, if, if you think New York City traffic is, is traffic-y, go to Mongolia and see some real traffic. <laughs> but um, man, I just about, I just about cried all the way back home finding wow. out like this kid's background. So I, I don't know if that's an act of kindness or if that's just trying to be a, a good person. I, I, I And I don't want to sound like, oh, you know, blah, 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 here I come, the white savior, and I'm, you know, making differences in people. I don't, because it's, it's hard to, you know, answer that question. Sure. But, That's uh, a but, great example. But I'll, but it, but it's also the truth, you know, and, yeah. and there's this whole, there's probably a million people that live up, up in the hills and in these garbage dumps and nobody cares about them. They, the, the country pretends like they're not there and the government pretends like they're not there and they live in, they live in garbage. And then they, and then when they die, they just bury the bodies in the municipal garbage dump. Wow. And, uh, and so that's where I was, you know, teaching, teaching music this summer, English through music, uh, uh with my, uh, good friends, uh, Mark and Adna from, from Charlotte, North Carolina. Adna is a, uh, uh, uh she's from Mongolia and Mark is from North Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, so that we were just there with them this uh, this summer. So that that was a there, man. That was a deep dive on the kindness. But yeah, on the on the other side, uh, as far as the daydreaming goes, yeah, I I daydream all the time, but not when I'm teaching. And, uh, <laughs> sure, <laughs> a company man. <laughs> I'm a company man. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's like a Mark Twain. You ever read the Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court? It's, uh-uh. it's it starts with like I'm a Hartford man. I'm stubborn in my nature and and, and all that stuff. So, um, anyways, no. As far as the daydreaming goes, something I love, I've really grown to love, is when I go out to uh, you know Mongolia or or Tuva out there in, in Inner Asia. I love sitting underneath the sky out on the grass and just like taking a nap. And so like my daydreams are because like the ground, it's just like soft and it's clean and there's no pollution in the air. There's no, there's no noise pollution. So when I, when I daydream, I, I honestly like think about like the wonderful naps that I've had (laughs) in in Central Asia and just like on clean ground and on clean, you know, clean air and, 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 and everything. And just, yeah. And listening to the sounds of the, of the eagles and the birds. And, and that's, that's, if nothing else, that's like, you know, I ask people like, what do you do when you get there? So the, to, you know, Tuva, and I'm like, oh, I go up to the Behem your camp and I take a nap and it's wonderful, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so that's, if I were to, yeah, most, most times it's, it's, it's about, it's about that kind of stuff. So yeah, there you go. Nice. Yeah, music nerd through and through. Yeah. Speaking of music, you wanna you wanna bust out some some chops. So, I got my. It's too bad it's not a video here, but I got my Dosh Pelor, and this is a three stringed kind of like it's like a Tuvan banjo, and you almost play it like I, I hope. Hopefully, you can hear it. Okay. Uh, but ho- yeah, you know, I can hear it. Oh, good, great. And so the um. You almost play it too. You play it with like three fingers, like you do a five-string banjo mm-hmm. in America. And so, as a banjo player, like that just makes sense to me. 
and uh, and it's pretty great, and it's tuned in open D, so just D A D, and you kind of play with that same kind of claw hammer, that bum ditty. Yeah. You know, but then also it's got a horse head on the top that's that's carved in, and so it also to me sounds like the. Uh, it sounds like when you play that rhythm. Oh yeah, it sounds, sounds like, like horse is running. Yeah, it's like a trotting horse. Yeah, and in so many songs, like you hear, you know that kind of sound. But speaking of horses, because so many songs are about like rivers or mountains or horses and or pretty girls, I'm going to sing a song about a horse. And uh, the song is called Ezer Kara. And so Ezer means uh, eagle and Kara means black in the Tuvan language. So it's about a racehorse called the Black Eagle. And uh, it was a very, very successful racehorse. And it's just, it's one of my favorite Tuvan songs. And it's pretty, it's pretty chill. So I, I'm going to, I'll sing that here for you right quick. Nice. da ba da da Oh, <laughs> 
There you go. That was awesome. Your music class must be incredible. <laughs> it's fun. I, I, I try to make yeah. it fun. Yeah, man, that's great. Thanks. Yeah, Chad, thank you so this much. Was a, this was a great interview. All right, dude. Y'all be good now. Yeah, you too, man.